Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies Podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges. And uh, so, yeah, full disclosure, this episode was supposed to release yesterday on the 4th of July. But I got caught up with family stuff and, um, you know, it, it ended up being a really great day. Got to see my kid, and we had a lot of fun. Oh, she's two, and she's beautiful and funny and silly and sometimes cranky, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I also went to a pool party. That was a lot of fun. Uh, what did you do on your fourth? I hope I, I really hope you guys had a great fourth. You know, it's it's such a ridiculous holiday <laughs> when you really do the research on it but um as long as you're watching the movie independence day it kind of makes it worth it because that movie is amazing um but you know it's 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 just an excuse to get together with family you know not that we should need an excuse for that shit but hey sometimes we do <clears throat> uh as always you can find me on instagram facebook twitter for comic junkies Email me at fourcomicjunkies at gmail.com. Also, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. It's the best way to get the get the word out there. Uh, oh, my gosh. And before I forget, because <laughs> I should say this, especially for this episode. Well, not especially for this episode. I should say it every episode. Either way, uh, this podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by the Dadgum Original Batman on Film. And the reason I say I have to say that this episode, or should say that this episode, is because the host of Batman on Film, uh, the regular uh, scheduled episodes, Garrett Grev, is my guest today. And no, we are not talking Batman. We are talking Captain America, colon, the Winter Soldier. Man, do you remember that movie, man? That movie's fucking great. Um, not just the movie, though. We're talking the movie versus the comic, you know. Uh, what, what did we like about the comic that translated into the movie? Um, you know, and they're... They're simultaneously very similar and very different, um, as as it is with most adaptations. But the comic has the luxury of having, you know, at, at the time of release, you know, sixty, seventy plus year history of Captain, <clears throat> excuse me, Captain America. Whereas the the movie, you know, Captain America was only around for, in in the audience's minds at least, uh, about three years. So. <laughs> Totally different situation, but uh, both equally great. We might give a slight edge to the movie, though. <laughs> uh, but listen to the episode. Garrett is is such a great guy. Uh, you know, he's you know to spend an hour or so with him is all one could really ask for. Um, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. We're sh- we're celebrating 80 years of Captain America. How crazy is that? Anyway, let's get into the episode with Garrett Grev, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Bucky Barnes. Recording in progress per Zoom. Thank you in my face, 
ear zoom you didn't have to say that all right uh, anyway <laughs> uh we are back with the main man from minnesota the vikings and twins fan himself garrett grev uh host of bof uh but we're not talking batman today oh man i'm out of my element <laughs> oh no what have i done uh yeah, I, I love it you know everybody always thinks of me as a dc only guy mm-hmm. and um you know, my whole thing growing up was I loved Marvel and DC, like on the collective whole, just yep. about equally. It just so happened if you threw all my favorite characters in one pot, like Batman and Superman rose to the top of that collected group. But I've I've always been sort of a, a 50-50 guy with little note. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know if I just blew some cover. Like maybe I, <laughs> I don't want I don't want anybody to take away my Batman fan card. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I'm getting a, I'm getting a text from Bill Ramey right now. You're fired from Batman. Yeah, 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 right. I'm gone. And just like that, he's gone. <laughs> um, no, Bill would probably agree with you. Um, but uh, yeah, this is um, so this is exciting. Uh, we're celebrating 80 years of Captain America, um, which is which is exciting because, you know, we had Superman's 80th, Batman's 80th, yeah. Robin's 80th, Joker. Catwoman, I was like, when are we gonna get to like the the big Marvel stuff? You know, and I I, I thought that in my head I always think of like Spider-Man 1962. So like, okay, so next year we'll get into like 60 years of Spider-Man and X-Men and you know, yada yada. And, uh, and then Marvel was like, oh, 80 years of Captain America. I was like, awesome. <laughs> Any excuse to rewatch the movies, reread some comics, I'm all for it, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And like 63, I think about X-Men, you know, so like September of 63 was such like a watershed moment yeah. in Marvel. And you're right. You like you sort of count your way down to, you know, who who were the new kids on the block? Well, DC right. had been doing it for years. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, like Stanley kind of took his cue a little bit from from DC. You know, he you know, he said that he you know, he was good friends with Bob Kane. Um, and so when it was his time to start doing stuff, he was doing it, you know, like the way he wanted to tell stories, you know, that are quote unquote right outside your window. And I think, uh, you know, th- today we're talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but we're talking, comparing and contrasting the movie and the comic book. And I think in both cases, it's kind of scary how much it's outside our window. You know what I mean? Like there's there's some real good themes in, in both of them. You know, like you know, Law and Order, right? Ripped from the headlines, so to speak, a little bit. Um, there's there's some reality to it that is uh, really, really kind of frightening when you think about it. But it's also um, it makes you long for a hero like Captain America, who stands for what's right and stands for um, you know wanting wanting to help people, especially his friend Bucky. That's the big thing with both of them is that you know he sees Bucky and he's like, I gotta help him. You know, and I, I think that's very powerful. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's, um, you know, the Captain America that I always appreciate is the Captain America that fights for American ideals and not necessarily is a, you know, agent of the government. I think we see right. that a little bit more in the movie than in the comics. The comics is a bit more outlandish. Um, it's a little bit more of outside threat looking in, although there are, you know, secrets being hidden from from Steve you know, by Shield and and by the government at large uh, right. in the comic book uh, version as well. But you know, I think it's 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 interesting because you don't have to be 
overtly political. And it's a story that can sort of branch across, you know, wherever you are on your ideological spectrum or who might be in office at any given point of time, like this sure. can be scarier at sometimes than others. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but there's overreach and imperfection all over the place, regardless of party, regardless of administration. So it's nice to have Steve Rogers as this, this hero, this patriot that believes so much in the American ideals that aren't always reached, but um, are still to be, you know, um, reached for and something that's admirable to uphold. And I think that's what makes really good Captain America stories like timeless in a way that you don't need to be frozen in ice for 70 years to appreciate. Right. Yeah. I, I love that you said uh, American ideals because I've always thought of that with Superman, you know, when he says, um, you know, standing for truth, justice, the American way, although technically hasn't said that in a long time for reasons, right. but, um, but I always thought of it as like, well, you know, the ideas of, of freedom and liberty and justice, those, you know, those ideas that America was founded on, that I think is what he stands for, and what obviously what Captain America stands for. And, and you know, and I, and I think about this, you know, when they, they have trouble adapting Superman to film, I'm just like, look at the Captain America movies. Like, they, yeah, man, that's they, how you do it. Very, very similar, um, you know, ideals, obviously, and, and character beats where he's just trying to do the right thing. He's just a guy against insurmountable odds. And the movie was perfect at that, you know, and uh, we talked a little bit before recording about how you were glad that it wasn't like a literal translate translation of the movie, because in the movie, I fully expected Robert Redford to be Red Skull. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that they did not do that. Uh, but I was I was full on like, oh, he's Red Skull, like immediately yeah. when he was revealed to be the villain, you know. Yeah, the first time I watched the movie, I was definitely, um, you know, in, in with the Marvel movies, we we hadn't quite gotten used to like, oh, they're going to do, you know, this storyline, but in a more grounded way. Right. Obviously, they sort of as the MCU progresses, you get, you know, less and less grounded. But initially, mm -hmm. things were as much as you they can be when you have loki you know leading alien forces and the hulk you know rampaging through new york or not rampaging you know heroically protecting new york with you know some collateral damage like <laughs> it's it was still more grounded than what we'd see in a comic book and so going in to see captain america winter soldier i was expecting it not to be um what we got in the comic book uh i i, I thought probably you know, I, I was anticipating Red Skull or a Red Skull. I knew Hugo Weaving wasn't coming back, mm -hmm. but that didn't mean that they couldn't have. I mean, how many clone bot bodies in the comics is Red Skull on at that point, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> could have very easily been like, and guess what, Steve? It's me, the Red Skull. Only right. I'm Robert Redford looking now. <laughs> um, I thought maybe the Cosmic Cube could be in play in some way, but I sort of doubted it. But I think, you know, what really did stick around um you know was the interpersonal relationships and you know mcu steve and bucky is very different than this you know iteration of steve and bucky which is very different than the original steve and bucky right. relationship um but that interpersonal dynamic the relationship the bond um the 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 efforts of captain america to not give up on the winter soldier because he knows that's his, you know, former, you know, partner, right. um, D 
deep down in there someplace, like those emotional beats and connective tissue was it really made to me the adaptation work. And I think it appealed to a broader audience and fit better within the confines of where the MCU was at the time than doing a literal adaptation would have ever done. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree because the the comic book, like Marvel is pretty notorious for not retconning or rebooting anything, you know, yeah. versus like DC that, you know, loves to do that stuff every five, 10, 20 years, um, which, you know, it's just, you know. And, and it feels like it's shrinking, right? <laughs> like yes, yes. As we go along, we get fewer and fewer years between the the, the blank slate. Right, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I really, uh, so I, I thought about that a lot with this, uh, you know, this adaptation where, where like, you know, like the original um, invaders who were in it, like Namor and the original human torture right. in the book. Um, and they're obviously not in the movie for the very simple reason of like the audience would probably have gone, who the fuck are these guys? You know? <laughs> who? Who? Uh, wait a minute. Isn't that Chris Evans from the Jessica Alba movie? Isn't that the same guy on fire? No, it's a different guy. Hang on. Hang on. I'm confused. You've lost me. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think there was more, there's more history in this book. And again, this was a, this was a relaunch of Captain America when Ed right. Baker started it, which I actually forgot till I was rereading the, the book and i was like oh yeah this was a relaunch back in like 2005 or six or something like that yeah back with it was like it was a number one issue it's captain america number one right and, and i numbers of there's a number of little retcons within it yeah too. uh you usually not too bad uh like like i said marvel like like brian michael bendis when he was at marvel he was notorious for that he was like I i'm not doing any retcons everything's canon you know, Grant Morrison's that way with Batman, you know, his right, uh, <laughs> totally, it all happened. It's all in there. Right. Um, and I think either approach is valid, you know, depending on the writer and Ed Brubaker is an amazing writer and he was really, I, I think his thought process was if we bring back um, Bucky, we can really tell a brand new type of emotional you know, hook for Steve that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, and I think it came out around the same time that Jason Todd came back in the, in the Batman comics. Yeah, you're right. The, the joke forever was, you know, no one stays dead in comic books unless you're Jason Todd or Bucky Barnes. And right. then they both came back, right? Yeah. Like, and Bucky, Bucky was in the ground a lot longer than Jason. So yes, <laughs> you know, that, that was probably the bigger shock. You know, when it, when you think about that, because I had a similar thought, you know, in rereading the comic, uh, which I hadn't reread in a while, you know, to get ready to talk about this, um, you know, maybe, gosh, maybe like 10 years. No, I can't be eight, nine, somewhere in there. It's it was uh, several years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I was and I had rewatched Captain America, the Winter Soldier, like much more recently than that. Mm -hmm. And um you know, what struck me was how much more emotional, not necessarily the portrayal of Captain America was because he's, he's fairly impassioned, but stoic. That's a breaker kind of, I would, I would kind of tie it up in some ways. And, um, and maybe stoic's the wrong word, stern, because he definitely is like lashing out and emotional at the beginning of the story. Yep. You know, we find him at like the very lowest point, which we don't find MCU Steve at his very lowest point. But in the comics, 
um, you know, Scarlet Witch has caused the death of a number of Avengers and the team is in tatters and he is a man that's kind of lost once again. Yeah. yeah. Just, just like in some ways he was lost uh, when he was, you know, pulled out of the ice and realized that everybody I knew has been dead for a very long time and I yeah. don't have these connections anymore. Steve kind of finds himself, you know, not with the, you know, man out of his time, but a man out of his element Mm. Um, and a man out of his relationships and comfort zone in the same way. And he's not responding it to, he's not responding to it very well. Um, so the return of Bucky was really interesting, or as we start to identify that Bucky's returning, did a very interesting thing. And it pulled you into this need for Cap to have that human connection. Yeah. It wasn't just that this was someone from his past who he cared about and worked closely with that's a big part of it. It wasn't just that Steve Rogers is a good man and doesn't want to give up on someone that he believes to still have some goodness to them, mm -hmm. but it was also his longing for an interpersonal connection. It was his need to establish relationships that have been taken away from him when he's had, you know, Hawkeye and uh, I think vision and a number of other people just are, are dead at this point. Right. Right. And you have the weight of history. This was a captain America that we've, seen in action for a number of years he's been thought out i don't know chronologically when early mid 2000s um marvel would have said he was thought out but he's been thought out for a while and operating for a while yeah um he's been aware that bucky died you know back years ago whatever version of whatever memory you want to you want to tie that back to which this does an interesting job kind of playing with that concept yeah yeah but he's been dealing with it that bucky's been dead for a long time in Captain America Winter Soldier, he isn't out of the ice for very long. You know, yeah. he's maybe been operating a couple years in the modern world at, at most, right? Right. So you don't have that like decades of established, had a young partner, wasn't a young partner in the MCU, just another dude he was buddies with, right, right. Um, you know, and has been dead and, and Cap's been missing him and thinking about him for decades or or whatever that, that condensed time frame would be in the comics. It doesn't play the same. So in some ways, the emotional tie to Bucky being dead and then coming back is stronger in the comics. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of emotion around um, the loss of, uh, you know, Sam Jackson's eight or, or uh, Nick Fury. Sorry, it took me a second to get there. <laughs> and then, um, you know, emotional loss at, you know, identifying that shield has this insurgent element within it. That's so, so like where the stories kind of find their, their, you know, pull on your feelers hook comes from a different place as well. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. You say like in the, in the comics, it's, you know, it's like a condensed time frame of when he's been out of the ice. It makes me think of the Simpsons a little bit where it's like when the show started, it's like Marge and Homer were dating in like the seventies, but right. now it's like, they, they keep kind of having to push it closer and closer to the time that they are now um, totally so i so i thought about that where it's like yeah it is a little bit like that isn't it where you know they said something about like I, there's a line in the book somewhere where it's like you know he's been out of the ice for like 10 years or something like that and i'm like okay well that would put him at like 1994 or five or whatever and uh, whenever the book came out um versus like you know 1960 uh two or three four whatever whatever it was the avengers in avengers yeah but it wasn't but even then it wasn't even until issue number four i think that captain america joined the avengers right um it's just we all just kind of accept him as part of the avengers because he's been there so long right totally um, 
but I, I think what the, I, I think that it, it, it's hard to compare and contrast the, the book and the movie because they are very different. You know, there's similarities. Like I loved in the, I remember in the movie theater when he said like, who the hell is Bucky? I was like, oh yes. Like that's the line from the book, yeah. you know? And I was yeah, so excited. That's the line. And, yeah. And it, it was, and there's little bits like, uh, I think even their first fight is a lot like the book when they, totally. they finally meet up and fight. It's, but then again, a big difference is that the winter soldier, he talks a lot in the book. Um, you know, he, he's, he's talking, he's taking orders. Yeah. He's whereas, taking, he's taking phone calls. He's doing the whole deal. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, I think it's something like Sebastian Stanley has like something like 12 lines, 15 lines, something along those lines. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't speak much actually kind of, <laughs> I was thinking about it. It made me think of Michael Keaton as Batman as like, you know, he doesn't really need to do much. He just kind of has to let the the makeup and the suit work for him, right? You know, <laughs> sort of like. Yeah, and um, they they both like wear an eye black, apparently. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> there's another common denominator. Yeah, there it is. Um, but I, you know, as far as like those differences go, I I think was really good. And I, and reading the book, I was like, man, like, I kind of wish that uh, Agent Thirteen Sharon Carter had been a bigger part of the movie. You know, because I think she kind of got the short end of the stick and not not in that movie, but in Civil War. And then, you know, she doesn't even show up in, in the other movies until Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. And I, and I um, oh, man, I hate when I'm about to say something on podcasts and I don't actually know what I'm going to say. The actress's name is it Emily. Emily Van, Van Camp. Yeah, Van Camp. There it is. Yeah. I was gonna, I was going to say. I was going to get closer to the actress's name that played Supergirl in Smallville, which was like Vanderloof or something uh, like that. Vandervoort. Yeah. Vandervoort. God, thanks, JJ. You're all over it, man. Look at you. Um, it's <laughs> just, a, you know, those Danish or whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm the Minnesotan. I should have these Scandinavian <laughs> names locked down. Right. Um, yeah. We, we, my wife and I really liked her in Revenge. Like that was a, mm -hmm. like an NBC, you know, primetime kind of soapy revenge uh, show yeah, yeah and she was great and then when she was going to be in the mcu i'm like oh yeah like i i thought when i was watching that show she was kind of ready for the big time yeah. and was primed and ready to be a real deal movie star and she's obviously a successful working actress like not to slight her career by any means oh no no yeah um, but i thought you know knowing this story and um knowing the actress that was that was cast like oh okay she's gonna be a big deal and then it just didn't materialize now you know flash forward falcon winter soldier it looks like she's gonna be doing you know potentially some more interesting things in the future and all that but yeah. you know that's neither here nor there um in the comic book you know she's essentially captain america's you know not not female bucky but he, she's like right along at his side for yeah. a lot of the book um, and is actually kind of put in place to keep an eye on Steve mm -hmm. because Nick Fury thinks, you know, Steve might be kind of off his rocker a little bit, given all the trauma he's been through and potentially could be a murder suspect for, you know, the red skull, which I guess we haven't, you know, officially said out loud oh, yeah. in the book, <laughs> it, it, you know, um, the That's red skull wasn't in, <laughs> yeah. And the red skull wasn't in the, the cinematic sequel. Yeah. Uh, and he was not in, uh, with the with the real strong physical presence, very much of this comic run, because right away in issue one, you know he is shot dead by the Winter Soldier in the movie. Bucky uh, takes out. We think he takes out. Man, I guess there's more similarities than I'm thinking about now. As I say it out <laughs> loud, in the movie we think that that the Winter Soldier takes out Nick Fury. Yeah. In the comic book, 
we think that he takes out the red skull he's successful to different degrees on either but neither of them are really gone by the time our, our uh, tail moves along a bit further well it's it's like you were saying about the outlandish stuff it's like the the cosmic cube that's in the book it's like an artificial cosmic cube that the red skull was trying to make that the right. the main villain of that book alexander lucan you know like alexander pierce oh look at that uh, yeah. they oh, uh yeah. he like his consciousness is trapped in lucan's body i guess because when he sees his reflection, it looks like the Red Skull, which I, 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 I was reading it and going, the Red Skull, isn't he like still in this though? Like what happened? I totally forgot how he rematerialized, but I was thinking of future issues, the stuff that comes after this. And I think leading into like Civil War, um, like he becomes a bigger presence. You know, those comics I have to reread because uh, I was all excited after I finished reading earlier. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, now I want to get back into that. Um but uh, yeah, once you once you dip into him, you, you want to keep going because I remember the same thing. I'm like, OK, so I know he's not gone. And then I think it took me the first time Lucan has this voice in his head that um, Lucan thinks to himself, like, oh, I should have kept the cosmic cube hidden. This thing's cursed. And then he has this voice in the back of his head like, oh, no, you don't you need to use it. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's right. right. It's an absorbed consciousness type of deal thing. <laughs> All right. There it is. There yep. it is. And, and that's I didn't necessarily think that, again, going back to my theory that Redford was Red Skull, um, I didn't think that's exactly what it was going to be. I just thought he was going to be some sort of reincarnation or something like yeah. that. Like at the I wonder end, if there is an earlier draft of that script where some of those elements were there. I, I mean, there, there very well could be. Um, you know, it, I think it's interesting that the, the movie is fairly, um, you know, I th when I think of the movie, I, I thought about this a lot before we recorded. It 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 makes me think of um, of the Dark Knight, you know, where it's like they took oh, yeah. they took like elements of like different Batman and Joker, and you know, obviously the long Halloween stories, and elevated that material. I think that the movie really did a great job of elevating the material, and um, and I compare it to the Dark Knight because as far as sequels go. You know, this one blows the other one out of the water. <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm and I'm a Captain America: The First Avenger defender. I think there's so much heart in that movie. I really, I really enjoy it. I think it's actually underrated in terms of MCU flicks, but this is heads and tails above that one. Yeah. Um, it takes it takes things. It takes what works and makes them work better. It introduces different themes that exist on a more, you know serious and existential level compared to the first movie and uh it you know it ratchets up the action it introduces you know compelling villains and sort of a tricky turny plot like there's a ton of parallels even i think kind of down to some of the color palette choices yeah it's it's it is a um you know it's up there with you know godfather 2 and the empire strikes back and the dark knight um as sequels that you know i think kind of outshine their predecessor I, I, you know, 100% agree it. Um, and to think that like, it was funny, because I've been rewatching Arrested Development. And I forgot that the Russos worked on that show. <laughs> like, it was like, you know, this episode directed by Joe Russo. And I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, they had like a comedy background. Yeah. And the community they, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess the, the paintball episode is what nailed them the MCU job in the, the first place from community. Right. Um, and like Kevin Feige was like, Oh, you want you guys want to come to the MCU? ended up directing four of their biggest hits oh, um, man the mcu is great like that you know i think people 
the MCU gets a lot of heat, takes a lot of flack online, mm-hmm. you know, and you're sort of like as silly as this is like auteur cinema circles of comic book movies on the Twitterverse, right? <laughs> but the MCU does, I think what it's really done well is it's allowed, you know, Feige and the, the production team, largely Feige, right? He calls the shots to identify talent, like, it might be young talent. It might be emerging talent. It might be talent that hasn't worked on as grand a scale as the MCU. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, take those talented uh, storytellers and elevate them to this like blockbuster. And I don't mean elevate in a like highfalutin artsy fartsy way. I mean, like build out a skill set for them, put them through a boot camp. or guess what? Now you can make blockbuster popcorn billion dollar movies because like we're, we're going to show you how, you know, we want your voice. We want some of that to be there. You're getting hired because there's this spark. There's this talent that's identified. And now we're going to sort of wrap our arms around you and, and show you and help guide you through the Marvel, you know, movie making process. I think there's actually a lot more value in there that people give it credit for. No, I, I totally agree because I think, I don't think it, there was a, there wasn't a lot of it in the beginning, you know, and there's, no. there's, and there's, stories of like behind the scenes turmoil with like you know alan taylor with thor 2 sure. and, and john favreau when they were making iron man 2 and even joss whedon when they were making avengers 2 but you know boo joss whedon but um right. but but anyway uh, sympathy uh, for the devil on that one it doesn't really get you very far right uh but you know embracing the russos embracing ryan coogler with black panther embracing yeah take watiti with thor ragnarok and now the upcoming thor uh the dark or, Jeez, what? Thor the Dark World. Uh, Thor Love hey, and Thunder. Hey, speaking of underrated movies, I like the Dark World. I'll defend the Dark World as well. But you, yes, you, totally. You can you you can have that hill to die on, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be joining you. Um it's more but, it was it's more of a hey, come on, it's it's not so bad. That one's all right. Then uh that I hear I plant my flag type of deal. The uh the the Loki stuff is really good. I think. Loki's oh yeah. And that's, but, that, that's really what does it for me quite honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and same with um, um, uh, like James Gunn, even with the guardians of the galaxy movies, you know, they, oh, yeah. they there is, you know, th- like you said, they, they let them come in and it's like, here's what we need to do. We're telling these infinity store stores, nah, infinity stone stories. Wow. That was hard. Um, you know, so, yeah, but uh you know, so so you need to incorporate that in your movie, but also tell your story. And I think that the Russos and uh, uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, I believe, are the names that were the screenwriters right. for all three of the Cap movies plus the last two Avengers movies. They, the, you know, they 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 really had a good rhythm going where it was like as as kind of fun and pulpy. You know, like Joe Johnson was the director, right? So it's like the Rocketeer, right? Yeah. So it's like he's good at that stuff, and and that was perfect for the first Avenger. But then bringing Steve into you know the present day, um, I think, you know, you were talking about before, he's not a man out of time, but he's a man out of his element. I think that the, what the movie did really well was put him out of his element. That you know, you know. Nick Nick Fury is very much like, hey, look, like this is the way the world is now. And he's like, I don't, I don't accept that. Yeah. And you can't trust anyone around you, right? Like this is a different, you know, I think the closest we got is like, man, Tommy Lee Jones doesn't seem very nice in the first movie, as far as like distrust of the government or anybody that would be, you know, quote unquote on our side. 
And in the second one, you sort of start to separate, you know, potentially separate the captain from the America, right? Like right. It, this is, this is very much shield. This is very much hydro within shield, but it's still the part of the government that Steve works with. Mm-hmm. And he is of a generation where he instinctually trusts and believes in, you know, the government. And this is something that's telling him, Hey, you can't do that anymore. You know, when, when, when Nick shows him the cell phone that says like, you know, ears everywhere and he's got a plan behind a plan because he doesn't trust what's going around him. Mm -hmm. You start to see some of, um, you know, you start to see Steve sort of realize that, you know, I, I can't trust people. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried about what's going on here and what am I loyal to? And you know, there, there's no sort of like wavering question like, oh, should I go along with Hydra? That's not it at all. Right. But it, it is that uncomfortability that he needs to like strike out on his own to take down this thing that he was fighting for previously. Like that is definitely, definitely that Steve out of his element for sure. Yeah. And, and I love that in in all of the movies you know with, with captain america in them he has these like rousing speeches and i love when somebody calls attention to it like in in this movie it's it's sam when he's like did you just make that up or did, did you yeah. have that written down and and then like in endgame it's it's rocket and ant-man like see oh he's really good at this you know right <laughs> and oh my gosh it's uh and, and i and i love that you know and it's it's not easy to pull those off but damn it if chris evans doesn't pull it off like perfect casting yeah and you know the casting was something i i didn't question it was quite a process for marvel to find their captain america Mm -hmm. you know they they were looking at a lot of different um you know guys to fill the role and they just weren't finding what they were looking for you had heard for a while back then that they kept coming back around to chris evans but the thought was he won't do it and they wouldn't do it because he had previously been the human torch and the fantastic four movies from the mid two thousands. And it just wasn't going to happen. And then they cast him. And I remember being like, you know, I can't think of anything better, I guess, you know, like it didn't feel like inspired casting. I'm like, yeah, the dude is pretty ripped in that, uh, not another teen movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was pretty obnoxious as Johnny storm. And I guess that's what you need him to do. But I don't, I don't I, let's see if he can do cap. Yeah. And holy crap, <laughs> he managed to do Cap. Yep. And, uh, you know, when Chris Evans delivers a Captain America uh, speech, man, I get the little goosey bumps all up and down my back and the hair on my arm stands up. And I'm like, yep. yeah, you know, absolutely. Yep. Flash forward, like one of the most emotional moments I've ever had where I just like audibly couldn't control myself was an end game when he gets Mjolnir and yep. and I was like <laughs> tears in my eyes like cheering yeah. because <laughs> you believe in this Captain America you believe he's that good yep. you believe that he's worthy and and plus you saw Hemsworth as Thor his response and he's I knew it you know yep. like just glorious what what Marvel did with the casting on these characters is like you know, everybody says Snyder is a genius when it comes to casting, and he is. He's no slouch when it comes to casting. Right. I don't, man, these Marvel guys, I mean, they hit on every single one. And I think that's a big reason why the franchise, you know, the cinematic universe, you know, immediately took such hold as it did. That and smart director choices, as you were saying, you know, pivoting from Joe Johnson, who gave you a great first entry to know we need to do something different and have different voices mm-hmm. for the sequel and move forward like that's just genius stuff yeah and and i think that they 
and I love I, I love seeing the changes that they make from from page to screen. You know, like we talked about before, you know, that that like Winter Soldier doesn't really speak much in the movie. And and I, I think that worked better actually for his character because it just it made him much more tragic. Like Sebastian Stan, like I'm kind of getting chills oh, yeah. talking about it. Like when he's just looking at Robert Redford and he's like, but I knew him. It's just so it's so tragic. Like, look at what they've done to this poor man. You know, yeah. they've just ruined his life and, you know, ruined all these other lives, too, uh, as they showed in the, the Artem Zola scene, which, by the way, I thought was a great way to keep Zola in the movie and not have him look as ridiculous as he does in the comic books. You know, like right. he, it, maybe that would have looked cool in the first Avenger, but then like it would have been hard to adapt in a film just like. If, if they ever get to Modoc in the, the Marvel movies, which I don't think they will. Yeah, I don't think so. That uh, animated series that's going on right now might be as, is that a Hulu show? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen it though. But yeah. I haven't checked it out either, but I bet that that's probably as close as we get. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Patton Oswalt that plays him too. Uh, yeah, which is yeah. kind of pitch perfect casting. Oh, yeah. really. like, Again, I, like. I really need to watch that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I'd like it probably just because it's him. Um but, you know, but I've loved what they've been doing with the TV shows. The TV shows, again, feel different from the movies in a great yeah. way. Um, and just like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, it had to be something different because if it was still just, I don't know. And again, there's in the book, there's a ton of flashbacks, you know. Oh, my the, gosh. And, and it works great in the book, I think, because it helps. Again, this being a relaunch of Captain America. So if you're a new reader picking up Captain America number one, you're you're throughout those, you know, first 14, 15 issues, you're going to be into it going, Oh, this is cool. Like I'm getting Captain America's backstory that maybe hasn't been told before or whatever. Whereas for us in the movie, we just saw him in two other movies and we saw him in first Avenger and then the Avengers. So we know him well enough and we have an idea of Bucky and there's a little bit of that, you know, when he goes to like the, uh, the Smithsonian, I think. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, he's, he's sitting through all those things and, you know, they even mentioned like Bucky Barnes died back in 45 or whatever. Um, and he's just kind of like, OK, like, dude, you but know. you know what I love about that? You know, I think it's just a really Marcus Mephili and Russo brothers. What they did so well there is its exposition. Mm. When you're watching it, it's hard. It doesn't really register as exposition because everybody knows anytime you're in some movie and all of a sudden you get characters talking at one another but their words are really designed for the audience maybe yeah. it's introducing the MacGuffin. maybe it's kind of giving the here's the backstory like it sticks out like a sore thumb too often yep and, and what they did that was so smart is yep audiences you're probably familiar with steve rogers captain america from our two you know one uh, solidly performing and then one big blockbuster movie that he's in right um you probably are familiar enough with his story uh, however, because we know this is big and just like Stanley used to say, every, every, every comic book is somebody's first comic book. So you need something that, that allows people an entry point. Mm -hmm. um, they tied it to the emotional position of their main character. Yeah. So Steve is lonely. He is longing for, you know, his old life in some ways and missing that he's also adapting to this current world that's changed or he's like internet very useful right like yeah, yeah. He's, he's figuring out this modern world 
but it emotionally makes sense for that character to go back to what's familiar to him, to see pictures of his friends and his fallen, uh, you know, um, brothers in arms, you know, maybe they died in the battlefield, maybe they've died of old age, but that is, that it's like a monument to this old life of his and it makes sense for him to go there. It speaks to where the character is, but it's also got a ton of information that the viewer is being downloaded with, yeah. but it doesn't feel artificial. Like that's, that's, Again, that's just really, really good filmmaking. Yeah. And no, uh, you know, I'm, I didn't even think of it that way. Uh, and that's a really good point, too. It, you know, it, it's it's a way to get everybody caught up because this is a good chance that a lot of people d- hadn't seen the first Avenger when they came into this movie. Um, yeah. And and I'm sure it was a shock for them who the Winter Soldier was. Um, and I remember like being with people who hadn't read the comics. I was like, whoa, that was cool. And I was just like, yeah, like, you know, then- it's like, I we all that. thought so too, uh, <laughs> you know, 10, 12 years ago. Well, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just look at the box office numbers and obviously this doesn't count for home viewing, but um, clearly there were people that saw the Avengers that didn't see the first Avenger. And yeah. then based on, you know, that performance and what a behemoth that movie was, you know, very likely went to go see you know, Iron Man 3 and Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that maybe didn't see any of the stuff that came before it. So I think it's smart. You have to do it. You got to find a good way to do it. And they found a really good way to do it. I think uh, expanding on that a little bit, I think what they did that was smart, though, was I, I, I don't think they thought anything of it at the time. And I don't think you or I would have thought anything of it at the time. But it's like they did those solo movies and then they did the Avengers and then they went back to the solo movies. And a lot of audiences complained that like, well, why weren't the Avengers helping Thor? Why weren't the Avengers helping Tony? Why weren't the Avengers helping Captain America? And it's a valid enough point because you or I probably don't think about it because we're reading the comic books all the time thinking like, well, whatever, they have their separate adventures all the time, but there's something different when it's real and it's sort of like now it's tangible. So so then when they started to make the, the third or, you know, so movies after that, they were, there was a little bit more of a team up element to it. Like Hulk being in Ragnarok, um, you know, like a good chunk of the Avengers being in Civil War, right. um, that they were like, okay, like we kind of need to pivot a little bit more to to show audiences that <laughs> it's like, okay, we hear you. We're we're gonna adjust accordingly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough because you want to get the band together, but you also want to be able to tell individual stories. Um, you know, to keep those individual sub franchises alive mm-hmm. and valid and playing a good role. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, adults do this really silly thing. Grant Morrison has, it's one of my favorite quotes and I just happen to have it. Like when, once they start, once, once people start needing to like justify, you know, why isn't Iron Man in here? Like, this seems like a big problem. Shouldn't Iron Man be helping? Well, I think Iron Man had blown up all his suits at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. and was just Tony Stark. So maybe that's the reason, but let's say that's not the reason he is in the comic book. Right. But like. The real answer is because the storytellers didn't want to tell that story. And Morrison says, kids understand that real crabs don't sing like the ones in The Little Mermaid. But you give an adult fiction and the adult starts asking really uh, effing dumb questions like, how does Superman fly? How do those I-beams work? Who pumps the Batmobile's tires? It's a made-up story, you idiot. Nobody pumps the tires. (laughs) You know why the Avengers didn't show up? Because... Marcus and McFeely didn't want the Avengers to show up. Like yep. this is fiction people. Like, like it's a, uh, you know, the Affleck gift from, um, is it Jane and Bob Stripe back? Please remember these are fictional characters. Yeah. 
but you can't do that forever because you just sold, you know, the, the American and worldwide audience, um, this big, massive team up, team up flick and they, and they, you know, spooned it up like they couldn't eat it fast enough. So you can't go too long without getting it back to it. But these individual tales, um, are, are a nice in-betweener as they build up to the next big, big team event. But it also really smartly allows you to introduce and grow and flesh out other, other characters that then you can bring into the mix on the next big team up thing. So like if, if all of these movies were, you know, uh, Hulk shows up and Tony's there and, you know, Thor's beaming down from the rainbow bridge and the whole deal. How do you give room for Sam to grow into the role of, of Falcon, right? Yeah. Because when you have that space in a story, because you're not jamming all the other characters there, you get to have an opening scene of a movie of two guys running around uh, the Lincoln Monument. Mon- was it the Lincoln Monument? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or is it the viewing pool? It's, 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 blue- it's well, it, one, one's right connected to the other, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. They're on the same plaza, I think. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they're on the same spot. Time. Yeah. You know, like you get on your left jokes because yeah. you're not, you know, trying to fill screen time with, hey, what's Bruce up to right now? Right. So I think that's really good. And obviously you see the way that, you know, both uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier have gone on to play major roles in the MCU. It, it makes sense to leave there some, some leave some breathing room for these other characters to catch a breath here. I think I, I think that was done really, really well, because I think. when I think of Falcon, I always think of him as a Captain America supporting character. So having him be introduced in in this movie, I think was really smart. And also I think what was really smart about the character was that they changed up the backstory where he was, you know, like a a war vet and, you know, his wings were, you know, uh, part of a pararescue. Yeah. Yeah. And And, uh, uh, he doesn't talk to birds. That's I think I think that was a good change. When I was rereading the comic, I was like, "This is stupid." Yeah, oh like, yeah, it really <laughs> it really stands out after after you know what. So th- so this that was, gosh, was it 2015 Winter Soldier? I should know uh, this. 13, 14. Okay, I was in the range. Yeah, yeah. So like after legitimately like eight years or so, like of or sorry, seven years. Bad math of of having falcon around in this way where he's got you know metallic wings and jet propulsion and you know a little drone that is kind of bird-like to go back and be like holy crap that's right this dude used to talk to birds like yeah. that was that was like a key power <laughs> set like like hey he flies he's pretty good in combat but here's the real kicker this dude talks to birds can you believe it like you know like <laughs> oh my goodness it plays so well like it yeah. doesn't though doesn't all right i i think i think that was best left you know maybe that was in a first draft or something but yeah right it, and i think this was still in the time when um as as the avengers movies went on as comic book movies have gone on they've embraced more and more of the comic bookiness of it even with like the looks of characters you know like captain america finally got like the chainmail looking look in endgame right Whereas uh, like Falcon still stayed fairly quote unquote realistic, so to speak, kind of uh, Christopher Nolan ish, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that worked great for him. And I think, uh, well, I think, you know, the each successful entry into the series, like 
it just gains you more and more buy-in from the audience mm -hmm. and it gives you more license to push that envelope. So if you think about where things came from to where they are, you know, Tony is initially welding a suit out of junk, like cool, but then he's like, you know, kind of a gearhead in a garage, like really cranking on a mechanic and working on a jet propulsion. By the end of this thing, it's living in his blood and it's shooting out whenever he wants to you know, It's forming this, that, and the other thing. And, yeah. you know, like it, it gets wild, right? Um, and I think you can only do that because you have all those other movies under your belt where the audience has gotten invested, where you can say, all right, you've come this far. Let's go a little further. Like, yeah, yeah. okay. You guys were okay with this wacky thing we included. It's about to get wackier, you know, like, yeah. And that's cool. I think that's smart. You know, I think that's a, it's kind of a rope-a-dope uh, effect. You know, it's a little bit of a bait and switch over an extended period of time. You, you know, what, you, what's funny, what the Marvel movies did over the course of like 20 movies uh, is something <laughs> I remember seeing this interview with uh, Ivan Reitman when he talked about Ghostbusters. He was like, we had to take the audience on this journey so that yeah. you could believe them in the beginning. There was just the one ghost in the library and go on this journey with these guys so that by the end of the movie, you're with them when they see the state buff man and it, it all feels believable right. because you're on the journey with them. And it's, yeah, I was just thinking of that when you were talking, cause I was like, I was like, yeah, that, you yeah. know, they, you know, it's funny, like in the, in the incredible Hulk movie, which is sort of the redheaded stepchild of the, <laughs> the unfairly, MCU. I also will defend that. I'm, I'm a I, crappy Marvel movie defender. You know, people don't <laughs> like that. They don't like dark world. I, I, incredible hog is a better movie than the dark world or the dark world i but i, like I love i love that movie um, it's up on my list it's quite high on my list quite honestly yeah i i was i was really bummed when you know they had the falling out with edward norton because i thought that i mean i think mark ruffalo was great but i think but, i think mark ruffalo doesn't does an adequate job i think yeah. uh i think norton really really was good when he was cast man okay so this isn't winter soldier but just give me a Allow me a couple minutes here. Yeah, when please. Marvel was starting out, and I would I remember being like, Iron Man was announced, and it was Robert Downey Jr. And yeah, he was having kind of he was on the back end of a rough patch, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang had come out, and everybody loved that movie. Love that movie. Love that movie. Anybody that knows anything about movies knows that's a good movie. Yeah. It wasn't it didn't light the box office on fire. It wasn't like a huge smash hit, but people yeah. know the people that know movies know that's a good movie. Let me let me just let me just stop you for one second because I want to tell you something. Yeah. Um, later this year, spoiler alert, when we do our talks about the upcoming Batman movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have something I'm going to talk to everybody about, which is my favorite non-Batman movie starring Batman. Okay. Sure. So, so that's, so that's Val Kilmer. That's my favorite Batman movie with, without Batman. And <laughs> he's, oh, he's nowhere near Bruce Wayne in it, but he's my got favorite. so many good ones. That's up there. Um, I actually think it's, it's highly underrated. Um, uh, the Saint is up there for me. For I haven't with seen him. that in so long. But oh know, man, yeah. it's on Amazon Prime right now as yeah. of this recording. I gotta watch uh, it. And obviously, Tombstone is just Tombstone. like an all timer. Yeah. But like, so Robert Downey Jr.'s cast, he's always been a fantastic actor, you know, Chaplin and just like amazing, right? Yep. yep. Like, oh, geez. Marvel's hiring a real deal actor. I get it. That's kind of cool. You know, yep. they're not going for it for somebody uh, no name. Like they're, they're going to take in, we got to remember Favreau was an inexperienced director for the most part, right? He had Elf. Um, did he direct made or did he just do the screenplay? I, Regardless. Think, 
I think he directed it, but either way, yeah. he he only done like two or three movies ahead of time. Right, man. So I'm like, they're they're gonna take like kind of unproven directors, put them, give them a big shot here with like, but then really anchor it with high caliber caliber actors, because right on the heels of of Downey Jr. is Edward Norton. I'm like, oh my gosh, they got Ed Norton, like, yep. like uh, Primal Fear, uh, you know, um, Fight Club fight club that's what i was struggling for right there thank you very much like edward norton like that guy's like a legitimate actor this is insane yeah and then he came in and i was like okay well incredible hulk didn't really light the world up like iron man did but mm-hmm. i loved it i loved it um and really appreciate it for what it was it was an accessible movie in ways that ang lee's you know 2004 hulk was not even close to being um, and that it's a very movie sad movie, <laughs> very sad. Oh my gosh, so such a bummer. They couldn't make fa- fun panel work on the big screen, make up for how depressing of a movie that was. <laughs> um, but that was that was really great. And then obviously, you know, back to the casting thing, you get Chris Evans and you get um, Chris Hemsworth, who in 2009, when Star Trek JJ Abrams reboot Star Trek came out, he was in the introductory scene, and I remember being like that's a movie star right there. Does oh. it, I, I hope other people realize that's a friggin' movie star that we're just watching playing Captain Kirk's dad. And that very, I'm like, that guy's got command of the camera. Like it loves him up. And um, so when he got this role, I was like, I don't know. They're really rounding out this cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's funny because I did not anticipate Chris Evans, you know, capturing my heart in the role in the way that he right. did. So, so to have him kind of crank out the performances that he did, like, earnestly um and really heartfelt uh is has been a real treat and i think getting back to the comic book just a little bit Mm -hmm. i um steve isn't as likable in this story run like he's important yeah and he is fighting uh for something he believes in and to save a friend but he isn't nearly as emotionally compelling and he's in a much darker place as chris evans and maybe that's because we get to do kind of this fun man out of time like you know he's got his list of who's steve jobs and um oh man what's the album i'm blanking on 1972 marvin gay marvin gay trouble man soundtrack trouble man yep like that's just fun stuff it's inherently more fun than you know all your teammates recently being killed um but like i don't know captain america rereading this i'm like he just doesn't seem as likable and you just love chris evans in this role like that elevator scene and you watch him just sort of figure things out and just like a true gentleman he gives him a chance to leave before they get started i'm like uh watching that again Um, it's maybe been a year two years i I had watched um winter soldier in my rewatch up to end game um you know, when it was in the theaters and then when it was released again, I glutton for punishment, just like, Hey, enjoyable punishment. Right. Uh, <laughs> let's watch all of them. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I, I, that scene came back on. I'm like, again, the goosebumps, man. Like it was right there. I'm like, Oh yep. my gosh, this is good stuff. I, I think they, you know, the, the fight scenes in the movie are so amazing. And I think part yeah. of it is because they, you know, uh, it, it's it's real. It's like it's it's a bunch of stuntmen. It's it's practical effects, right. and that really, um, you know, it just it, it makes a difference. You know, so when he's fighting the Winter Soldier, visceral. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Under the bridge, it's so 
it's so exciting and and they're just like in plain clothes he's not even captain america right there he's just steve um and it's like a really exciting scene to think like man like this is like i'm on the edge of my seat going like is is he gonna like what's gonna happen you know right um it's like i'm sure he because age of ultron's already been announced so i know he's gonna make it to the end of the movie (laughs) but for a split second i'm forgetting that and getting caught up in it going this is like you know, and I think of the sound effects just being so oh, di- man. dynamic and it, it pulls you into the movie, you know? And let me ask you this, because I had, I responded to the movie differently now, having watched years. I'm wondering if this was what it is. So it's kind of my roundabout way of asking you if you think the same thing. Okay. After years of watching Disney Marvel movies and moving to the fantastical outer space, like ray guns and what have you there is a lot of just real deal, real world firearms uh, involved here. Like a lot of people get shot with Mm -hmm. bullets out of guns that exist in the real world. Yeah. It was, there was a couple points where I'm like, um, uh, it it just felt a little unsettling. And I'm like, oh man, you don't see this in the Disney movies today. Now Falcon and winter soldier yeah, people were getting shot, um, but there was a lot of people getting shot in a lot of different ways um, in in Winter Soldier. And I was wondering, like, I wonder if that's been something intentionally intentional that Disney has tried to dial down, or if it's been a matter of the stories getting bigger and getting sort of like cosmic and inter, you know, outer spacey high tech weaponry. So, so when you go back and see like, Oh, it's just kind of a regular old, I mean, very impressive, like very powerful gun, but a real world weapon. It felt Mm. different to me when I was watching it to get ready for this conversation. Did, did you experience any of that? Um, You know, now that you mention it, I I can definitely see that because it's, it's different in this movie when it's Bucky and, and cap fighting. And, you know, he's got, you know, like you said, a, a gun that you could unfortunately get very easily. Um, uh, just that's a whole other conversation. Okay, <laughs> a different podcast, uh, but uh, that's a Rick Shue podcast, right? There. <laughs> I do love Rick Shue. Uh, yeah. I don't think he knows who I am, but I love him. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, he, you know, so it, it it is a different experience, you know, when it's just Cap with the shield and and you know he has a gun versus when they fight in uh, Civil War. It's it's Iron Man versus Captain America. Oh man, repulsor it, blasts and yeah. The whole deal. And you've got, you know, um, political assassination targets in this. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, um, you know, Winter Soldier's going around like murdering people, like legit murdering people. It, yep. it does play different. And, you know, a lot is said about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, and this is a difference from the comic book as well. Uh, you know, the movie was played up as kind of like this sort of hard-boiled 70s politico spy thriller Mm -hmm. i don't buy that as much as people wanted to say it i think the presence of robert redford gives gives a lot lends a lot more to that perspective than maybe it should there's elements there's intrigue there's you know um you know some twists and turns and you know secret agents and what have you but this is just in a number of ways just a big budget action spectacular with explosions and flying vehicle crashes and bullets flying everywhere and like you know some kick butt fight scenes uh that stuff wasn't in you know all the president's men or um uh what what are the other ones i'm thinking of here um 
but you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, so know I, don't, I can't think of him either, but yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I don't believe in that quite as much, but there are, there are elements there um, in the movie that certainly aren't there in the book, in the yep. book, you know, the, the big focus is, and you know, maybe this is a little bit ripped from the current headlines it can be a bit political as well. Um, the big sort of plot twist is not to overthrow the government and take out, you know, people that, that, uh, that um, the insurgents and in, in shield or Hydra think are unfit. It's to like make some big mega corporate takeovers to, to yeah. sort of create like a, a, a mega power corporation that could be unstoppable. Like, yeah. you know, maybe it's some Bezos stuff going on or something to <laughs> modern, to modern America and, and monopolies and what have you. But the political spy thriller angle works better, even though I think it's overly hyped up uh, when people talk about this movie, than bad guy wants to build an even more powerful company, right? Like it just yeah, kind of yeah. seemed like a silly to me. Excellent story doesn't, you know, doesn't detract from it. Right. Every ex even excellent stories have things that I'm like, really, is that what you wanted to do? Is that what you <laughs> yeah. to do? And have the like, I want this Lucan being like, I, I want this cosmic cube so I can build a super company and buy out all my competitors against their will. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's maybe a little Richard Priory from a villain standpoint. <laughs> like, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. round off all these decimals and now I'll be rich, you know? I You're right, right. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, I think what they, what they did really well with the movie was like the Hydra twist in it was, was legitimately a twist. I did not see that coming. Right. Um, and it's part of the reason I, when it, which is funny, I say that in thinking Robert Redford was Red Skull and it's like, but I still didn't put that together in my head. <laughs> but or that the roots were as deep as they were, right? Like and, you could and, have that one dude, but to have like a whole, you know, subset of the population is a different thing. And I think that that was, it, it was, it was really well done because there was something about it that felt kind of real. It's, it's sort of conspiracy theorists, you know? Oh, yeah where it's like, oh, but it actually happened in the movie, but could that be happening now? Like, what are the, you know, what are the, you know, like there's conversations like, what are the Republicans really trying to do with the yeah. filibuster and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's like, and we could go down a rabbit hole all day long with. Oh yeah. Or things. man, or, or cues alerting us to this, like, you know, demonic subset of the Democrat party. Like, like there's, I mean, it's just nuts, right? Yeah. Like there's just like some straight up, craziness but there's a lot of intrigue for a lot of people talking about made-up nonsense on internet message boards like that was that imp almost impacted and it did impact an entire election and people yeah. are actively you know you know awaking and awakening from it now but like this concept that there's something scary out there mm -hmm. and powerful and making all the bad things that i don't like happen because that's easier, like that's appealing on some sort of like lizard brain level yeah. because it's easier to accept that there's an element of control out there, even doing things I don't like, than to think like the bad stuff happens and it's out of our control. It's easier to think that there's like this in control element driving bad things. Yeah. And, you know, to the movie, it sort of just flipped where the 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 bad element that's powerful and in control is saying um 
like it's not that anyone's aware and taking solace in the fact that there's the hydra cell within shield Mm -hmm. it's that like the surprise of that is what fuels the movie Mm -hmm. in a way that today i wonder even just with how prevalent conspiracy theories have grown even over the last two to three years i wonder if people wouldn't like bite on that in a different way than they did you know even just in 2014 well, I think they're going to after they hear this episode. Yeah, man, we're breaking down doors right here. <laughs> You're like, JJ and Garrett are onto something. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, we weren't trying to be. We were just trying to entertain you with it's our- the lizard people. It's, <laughs> they've, you know, they've reared their lizard heads once again. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, you know, like we were talking about before, you know, the, the world outside our window, there's there's truth to that, of course. Um, with you know, and I think having Marvel uh, Marvel movies, you know, it's, and, and no offense to the DC stuff, which obviously we're both huge fans of, but there's something different about this movie taking place in Washington, DC. That's just oh, yeah. not too far from where we live. You know, um, you know, there's something about the, you know, the first one, there's an attack in New York city or not the first one, but the first Avengers, I should say, um, you know, there's something about that that just adds to the, the realism to us po- getting pulled in to the movie a lot easier you know it's like and not to say that we can't relate to like you know what's going on in sokovia or wakanda right you know or gotham city or metropolis um but there's something about like oh i i know that place i've i've been i've been to the capitol like i've seen the washington monument you know there's feels tangible yeah and uh and there's something about that that just makes you pulls you in a little bit more and can add to that realism that can really uh you know like you were saying about like you know and the guns are real you know it's like there's something about it that just feels much more um uh i don't even know the word i'm trying to say like just just i think richard donner would have called that uh verisimilitude yes yes okay that that is what i was thinking of yeah um you know just there's it just or verisimilitude as i've seen some people pronounce it but no i think i think you were right the first time (laughs) um but you know there's you know and and what he meant by that was that like even if if you believe what's happening in the story even if the story is unbelievable because obviously it's fiction you're you're in and you can feel real the emotions behind it are real yes and i think you know kind of going back you know as we you know think about like how these stories wrap up in each case i think having you know by the time you get to the end of the movie and you have these massive airships that are targeting you know millions of people at a time Mm -hmm. you know to wipe white people off the face of the earth that that uh, hydra think is a threat like that's pretty far out there right yeah but the movie gets you there in steps like similar. I love that call on Reitman man in Ghostbusters. Cause that's a genius movie and yeah, really yeah. well-made obviously it's, it's last of the test of time. And you know, I, I can't remember when, but we're going to get another one, but from a son, which I'm ramped up about. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, this is something similar where it's like, you know, sure cap skydiving out of a helicopter without a parachute but he's you know he's landing on an actual gunship like we have gunships and he's taking people out and it's hand-to-hand combat and then as the story progresses like he's it's getting a bit more fantastical where he takes down you know one sort of like hover carrier type thing but it's not with the big massive one and then as you get to the to the the climax of the movie it's three big giant ones but 
you sort of grow with the, with the movie because it's telling the story and you're taking steps up to that point. And I think really smartly, the filmmakers position this final battle out in broad daylight mm-hmm. with a backdrop of a familiar setting. So yeah. in the comic books, this thing all comes to a head in an underground bunker, kind of in the dark. There's not, it's not really anchored in the real world. And I think what was really cool about the movie is it clearly takes place in the quote unquote real world of the MCU. It's out in daylight. It's visible to the public. You see the impact of like crashes and everything else and allows the scale to be huge in a way that you kind of need the third act of a movie sometimes to be huge, but also to like say, Hey, you know, we're kind of like right outside the city. There it is. You can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in, in, again, in the book, it's underground, it's a bunker, it's dark. But the meat of the personal interaction is the same. It's Captain America says, I'm not going to continue to fight you, Bucky. I want you to break free of what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically is willing to offer up his life in order to pull, to get Bucky to snap out of being the Winter Soldier. Now in the movie, sort of like, you know, comes shakes it off comes out of it ends up saving steve pulling him onto the shore in the book he's like all right i'm gonna take my shot (laughs) and his and his shot is disrupted i think he gets hit from behind i want to say like somebody kind of jumps in i can't remember now i think it's falcon falcon hits him from the back and maybe steve throws a shield at the very last second or something yeah and the cosmic cube tumbles out of his bag steve grabs it and says like remember who you are with it which you know wakes him up (laughs) like a mufasa in the sky moment (laughs) yeah yeah right yeah exactly yeah yeah so i think you know that's the emotional connection once you start to like introduce like Winter Soldier was just going to straight up shoot Steve in the head if it wasn't yeah. for Falcon and then a magical or, you know, a facsimile of a magical item in the comic book kind of snaps him out of it. Yeah. In the movie, it goes much more towards this like brother relationship, which is a distinction as well. In the comic, you know, Steve meets Bucky when Bucky was a 16 year old, already had a ton of training and was going on some pretty gruesome and violent missions along with him. Yeah. You know, in the movie, we know they were best friends from childhood, and Bucky was really Steve's protector when he was still a frail, weak little guy before he mm-hmm. gets the super serum. So to have that connection where he says, you know, I'm with you to the end of the line and yeah. have that be the thing that wakes him up. I'm like, you're getting me in my feelers. You know, that's so much <laughs> yeah. more effective than cosmic cube wake up. Right. It, it, it definitely is because like it, it, it again, it works in the comic books the same totally way that, that Lucan has the red skull trapped inside his mind works, right. you know, because it's, it's that level of, of fun that you can have with that if they'd done that in the movie especially like at this point where it's like the sixth or seventh movie in the marvel universe we wouldn't have accepted it uh we would have been like that's that's really ridiculous um but in this case we're like oh like this this you know like as soon as he says i'm with you till the end of the line and he just like he's gonna punch him again he's just holding his hand up you're just like oh like here it is it's happening and and again um when you know winter soldier um uh, he, you know, Sebastian Stan just nails it, you know? He does. And to your point earlier, he does a great job without needing a ton of words to get it done. And it's effective because 
like you say, it's sad and it's trauma. Look how much this man's had stripped away from him. He's been on ice. He's been used as a human weapon for all these years and he's lost who he is. And he's, you know, law, he's completely lost and his mind's being wiped and he seems heartbroken and lonely in ways that Steve is also heartbroken and lonely. So there's yeah. this, this connective tissue between these, these brothers. Right. And um, the difference in the, how much he talks is almost like even that level of humanity has been taken from him. Yeah. He is largely a mute machine, almost unable to process his own thoughts and emotions into words. He's, and, a, he's essentially a Terminator, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's and in, in the movie, it's just sort of like, all right, well, I don't really, or in the book, it's like, you know, he has been uh, brainwashed. He has been mind controlled. He has their mind controlled. His memories have been wiped. But like when he is out of his bio freeze, he's kind of just like a regular, fully functioning dude. Yep. Yep. In the movie, you're right. He's like a Terminator. He's like been programmed to a mission and almost doesn't process any other human thoughts besides what that mission is. And when he starts to show them, it's like, all right, freeze him up, wipe him, you know. Yeah. You put the put the little thing between his teeth and zappity zappity zap. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awful. Which Ed Brubaker was in that scene too. Uh, he's one of the scientists. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think... I, you know what? I've um I've read that. I've never actually seen a screenshot that pointed out where it was or caught it as I watched it. So I'll need to do that now because I, yeah. I I see that on like little you know nerd trivia things from time to time. And I love little stuff like that. Like Marv Wolfman was in the last episode of the Crisis on Infinite Earths cameo. Like yeah. he shows up and gets flashed in Supergirl's autograph. I was like, it's Marv Wolfman, you know? Yeah, look it's, at him. There yeah, he is. Same with Stan Lee being in all the movies. And I had a friend that complains like, I hate when they have the Stan Lee cameos because it takes me out of the movie. And I'm just like, I, I was like, it does for me too. But I, I think that's kind of the point. We're yeah. supposed we're supposed to be taken out of it for a second. I go, that's Stan Lee, you know? Um, and, you know, and we didn't even get to Black Widow, who, you know, is great. Uh oh. Well, and, you know, we sort of did, right? We we're talking about uh, Agent 13 is kind of Steve's right-hand woman in the in the book. Black Widow is really the replacement for Agent 13 in the movie, which makes sense, right? Um, um, Sharon hadn't been introduced in the movies to this point. We had gotten yeah. Peggy, um, but Sharon wasn't around. So it didn't really make sense for us to all of a sudden have Agent 13 um, be that big of a part. But we did clearly know Black Widow from Iron Man 2 and the Avengers. So she kind of got to slide into that role, which was which was cute, I think, in ways that in the comic book you don't get to play around with. Because this is Steve who's been out of the ice functioning in the modern world mm -hmm. intimate with the ladies as you see in a couple panels in the comic book yeah. <laughs> and our steve in the mcu is like shy little boy i think he might be a virgin which is you know whatever cool like but there's a question like have you kissed anyone since 1942 or whatever yeah, and yeah, yeah. like you know um, I'm 85. I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a great line. But you get this innocence in this Steve by not having him teamed up with his ex girlfriend. That you know they get some nights off in Paris and they they get a bit amorous or what have you in the yeah. comic book. So I think that dynamic actually works out better. And it was fun to get more um, more Black Widow. You know, we're gonna get a solo film from her here very soon. Uh, but back then, you know, it was like shows up as an extended cameo in iron man 2 
part of the team in Avengers. And then what are you going to do with her next? Do you have to wait yeah. till the next Avengers movie? Nah, man, she works great. And we, we can slide her into this Captain America story. I think, I think she fit perfectly in it and it helped. And I think it helped Steve to have a familiar face in the film because it's like, yeah, we get introduced to Sam, we get introduced to Sharon, you know, right. you know, and, and we still get Nick Fury, but it's not quite the same with Nick Fury, obviously, as it is with, with Black Widow and who's already established with S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, yeah. And then Sam. Well, and it also leads to this sort of thing. It's yet another thing since I've, since I've woken up and been in this modern world, um, I've thought I understood kind of what's going on around me. And I thought I've had these relationships with people, but Steve questions um, uh, Black Widow and Natalia uh, through this. If she, you know, like, what mission are you on? You can't have different directives than what I have. You put the mission at risk. Do I really believe you? What did, you know, why did you get this flash drive? You know, what did Nick tell you, right? Like he, yeah. he is questioning her early on and it makes that bond between the two of them tighter uh, where, you know, at first it's kind of fun. She's trying to hook him up with dates or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Starts to distrust her. They go on the run together. And now it's these two thickest thieves, like partners to the end. Like that's a fun little roller coaster ride for these two characters to go on together. And I, you know, and that got expanded on in, in the, in the, in the next Avengers movies and obviously in Captain America civil war. Um, you know, and I think that was done very, very well. Um, Absolutely. And you know, it's, I mean, you know, we could go on all day about how great this movie is and how much fun we had revisiting the comic. Cause I was just like you, I, I don't think I read it since the movie came out, you know, sure. um, just, just because I, I bought it because of the movie. And then I ended up buying a bunch more Captain America stuff from Ed Brubaker. Cause I was like, I hope this is what they do with part three. And you know, they did their own stuff, but, right. um, and Garrett, this has been a, a total blast. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I'm glad that we finally made this work, you know, <laughs> you know, right. like scheduling difficulties. <laughs> well, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I get it, you know, being a, a parent and everything. You know, I've had my kid freak out over, you know, just taking her to the doctors just just for a well visit. He's like, all right, right. we're going to see how big your head is. And she screams. Nope. Now I'm going to lose it. Yeah. What the listeners don't don't uh, know, hopefully through your magic of editing and also not listening to this, not this being like a live stream is. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, one of my favorite things about being a dad is that I get to share this stuff with my kids and yep. anybody who's listened to me on any other shows knows I talk about them a fair bit. I've got mm -hmm. four boys. They love superheroes. They are all kind of assigned their own like guardian superhero angel at birth. So my <laughs> oldest, his favorite that he was given <laughs> because I decide I'm the dad was Batman <laughs> and he happens to love Batman. They all love Batman. But Michael loves Batman the most. He's the oldest. Christian has Superman. Mm -hmm. He loves Superman, also loves Batman. But Superman's kind of his special guy. Uh, Benjamin, who is my four-year-old, is uh, Spider-Man. He also loves Batman. And then Lucas, our baby, blonde hair, blue eyes. He's, not, he's 18 months now. He's not like a baby baby. Mm -hmm. But he's Captain America. Why are those four the ones that I assigned my four children? Uh, because they're my four favorite comic book characters. Yeah. I also love Thor. Like, you know, I just can't keep having children at some point. That's insane. Um, so like, I, it's awesome to talk about Captain America, but the, the four-year-old was having a difficult night. So JJ was uh, ever so gracious to sort of hang around and wait for me to be done with my, my fatherly duty is trying to put kids to bed so we could have some time to chat about this one for you all to listen to. Yeah. It, and you know, it was, it was worth the wait. This was, this was a lot of fun. Um, I had a blast, man. And you know, we, you know, we, we've got 
future plans for you to come back. Like I said, spoiler about some Batman stuff. Um, Me and- talking about Batman, weird. <laughs> I know, right? What are we doing? Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be great. You know, we're you know, and I'm a big fan of Batman on film, as I've told you, I've told you, I've told Bill, I've told Pete, I've told Ryan, I've told you all multiple times. Um, and uh, you know, we'll uh, like I said, we'll get you back soon. And uh, for all of you out there, we just want to remind you that the price of freedom is high, but it's a price that we're willing to let Captain America pay. Because I I don't I can't I'm not I don't, I don't have the physique for it Yeah I'm I'm busy I got I got shit to do All right <laughs> and we're done